Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. And uh, always excited about Advent coming. Um, we have tons of things going on, as you can see, and it's all meant to focus on Christ, draw people to the Savior, teaching them about the gospel message, about why there is a baby in a manger who grew up to be the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. So this Advent season, we're picking four different Old Testament prophetic names of Jesus to look at different aspects of what he came to do. And they're a little bit obscure, maybe. Uh, how many of you really have studied the line of Judah? Studied? Like, I haven't seen a hand. So you're going to learn a lot today. Uh, actually, I haven't either. I've heard the term. I had no clue what it talked about. So this past week, I've been doing a lot of research, and I've, it's kind of fun when you dig deep into what the Bible has to say. You put it all you realize that the Old Testament goes hand in hand with the New, and the the prophecies of the old tie into the fulfillment in the new. So we're going to look at that today. Let's pray as we get into our message today. Father God, you are amazing. Your plans are unfathomable. How you put things together from the very beginning until the conclusion at the end when your son comes back as the lion, as the warrior, as our king of kings. Uh, we're in the in-between time right now. We are the ones who get to see what was, what is, and yet what is to come. It's uh, a glorious time to be alive. And I pray that the message today would touch hearts and inspire us to keep on being faithful right to the end. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the four prophetic descriptions of Christ that we're going to be looking at in the next four weeks, one is the uh, starting with the line of Judah, we're going to be looking at the root of Jesse. Any ideas about that? Like what's with roots? Uh, Morning Star and the Lamb of God we're the most familiar with, but the other three are a little bit obscure. So we're going to be, it's going to be a fun ride in the next four weeks. And I hope you'll learn a lot as we go as well. Sometimes we think about child in a manger, a couple of wise men showing up, you know, donkeys and camels and, and all of that. But we don't actually go deep into the whole picture, the bigger picture of what is happening with the coming of the Messiah. So 1,800 years of prophecy fulfilled in one night, the birth of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what your name means? Sometimes your name after someone, uh, I, my name Thomas is named after my dad's middle name, Henry Thomas. Some people think that Thomas means what? Right, you know, you're wrong, just, just so you know. It came to mean doubter because of what he did, but actually the name Thomas means twin. I don't think I have a twin. No one told me I have a twin, but I guess my mom just liked the name. Uh, my middle name is Wayne, so she liked the, the initials TW. I'm TW. Never been called that, but I am. Sometimes you're named after a relative, a friend, Sometimes you're named the second, like junior, uh, or the second, or the third, depending on how many different generations have got your name. Uh, my brother likes to tell what the biblical character's names means when he preaches, but I've always been a bit skeptical. Like, I, I'm not sure. How did Jacob, if I was a mom or a dad, I just wouldn't name my son something that meant deceiver. Like, you're, you're just signing up for trouble, right? You're going to be a little trickster. 
You're going to be a pain when you grow up. No, I wouldn't call him deceiver. I think his name came to mean deceiver because of his character. Um, so did the name, you name someone something you want them to be like? Or in the Bible, did the name come to mean what the person's character turned out to be like? I'm not quite sure. And so I'm a little bit skeptical uh, of that. Uh, and so... Other, other parents will name their kids uh, in strong names, like they want them to grow into joy and grace. I like these names. And uh, what, what about Baron or um, uh, what's the other one I have here? Uh, Prince. You know, some of these names are strong and they say you've got to live up to it. I heard about a guy, a mom who named their son Cross. I never heard that before, but the depth of the meaning to the name cross. I'm going, ooh, how would you grow up having that name? So in the Bible, uh, some of the names like Uzziah were created to talk about how God was my strength. Or other names like Joshua meant um, Yahweh is salvation, talks about the character of God. And so it's interesting when we look at what names mean. uh, For Christ, he was named certain things that didn't happen for another 700 years. So it was a prophecy about what he would become like. So when he was called the Lion of Judah, uh, we, we, no one really knew how that was going to turn out. What's this little baby going to be a lion about? So we're looking at this name uh, similar to what Jesus, we had read earlier, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, but Lion of Judah. Why call Jesus the Lion from the tribe of Judah? In fact, who is Judah? And why do they have a lion in the first place? So to understand, we have to go back to the very beginning of when mankind came about. Since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden brought death to the world, people needed a Savior. We were meant to live for eternity with God, but now humanity, because of the sin of our forefathers, um, we are eternally separated from God. So God's solution was to bring a redeemer and a Messiah to mitigate the power of death and provide a way of reconciliation and redemption and transformation so the relationship with God and mankind could be restored. So he looked around all of his creation and he saw this guy named Abram living in the town of Ur, and he says, Abram, I'm going to do something amazing through you. And, and Abram's going, um, like, who are you? <laughs> First of all, and what, what are you talking about? God comes to him and says, I want to create an entirely new nation of people, someone through whom I can reveal myself, show the world who I am, what I'm like, and what my plans are. And through Abraham, through you, I'm going to bring a savior. To answer the question once and for all, how do we become right with God? Abram, all of his descendants became known as the people of God, and later they were going to be called the children of Israel. But it was through this nation that we would find a Messiah and a Savior. So Abraham uh, had a son, just one, not a great start. We'll go to the next slide. He had a son named Isaac, um, not really a whole nation worth of kids uh, from Abraham, um, but Isaac had a couple of boys, Esau and Jacob, 
Esau had uh, five, five sons, and uh, Jacob had 12 sons and a daughter. And one of his sons, the fourthborn, was named Judah. So this is where we get this, uh, this name, uh, line of Judah, is because of that fourth son that a, prof- a prophecy was going to happen. So these 12 sons of Jacob, you notice there's a, kind of a flow here, the, the red letters, Abraham and Jacob and Judah, it's going to continue on. There's going to be a line of people connected right back to Abraham as we go all the way to Jesus. But these 12 tribes, uh, 12 sons became so uh, growing and thriving as families after families and generations happened that they were big enough to become separate entities unto themselves. So there's a tribe of Reuben and a tribe of Simeon and Levi and Judah and Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher and so on. They all had a mass of people. They all had kind of separate regions that they were staying in. And when they ended up headed towards Egypt... After they were, I'm sorry, out of Egypt, Egyptian slavery with Moses, the story of the Exodus, Moses took all of these tribes, all of the sons and grandsons and great-grandsons and daughters of, of Jacob, led them through the wilderness back to where Abraham originally had settled, and God said, I'm going to give you all this land. And so now we got the 12 tribes coming back, and they had one thing to do. They just had to, in the meantime, while they were gone for 400 years in Egyptian slavery, other people were settling in the area that God had promised to Abraham. And uh, so when they come back to the promised land, eventually there's like a million people all together that have to settle in the promised land. And God said to them, I want you, every one of you, to clear your own land. You have to displace the people that have settled in your your areas, so that you can be free to worship me and serve me. Uh, if you let them stay, you're going to have trouble. So in the beginning of the book of Judges, it talks about how God sent each tribe into their land to claim their territories and to settle. Judah and Simeon claimed the land in the south, including Jerusalem. We'll go to the next slide. Whoops. Before we go to the next slide, the high priest, uh, uh, who was the first high priest? Do you remember his name? Moses' brother, Aaron. They fashioned for him what they call this breastplate, and on this breastplate were 12 colored stones, and each stone represented one of the 12 tribes, and on each of the stones, a name was written saying which stone they represented. So the tribe of Judah uh, had a light blue-colored stone. And what happened was that that was their color. Their tribe's color became light blue or sky blue. And so when their warriors stepped forward into battle, they had blue on their outfit. They had a blue banner representing who they were. So every tribe had a stone. Every tribe had a color. And that's how they would march into battle and be identified. You'd know right away which tribe they were from. Now what's the next slide? There we go. So on the the left picture, you can see where each of the 12 tribes were given their particular inheritance that God had promised Abraham. And in the south, you can see uh, Judah 
And also inside Judah's area, Simeon was asked to come. And then up here is Benjamin, one of the youngest and the smallest of the tribes that was in Jerusalem. And in the north, you had the other 11 tribes settling. I'm sorry, the other nine tribes. And um, you had to clear your land. You had to inhabit it and start planting your vineyards, get the crops going, make a life, make a living, worship God. And you can see that in the south, uh, the capital city, Jerusalem, was included in the southern tribes, and everything north was uh, from the other tribes. Now, the trouble is... <laughs> Only two of these tribes did what God asked them to do. Only Judah and Simeon cleared the land and settled in. So what God was saying, if you don't clear the land, you're going to be impacted by the people. You're going to be compromising what you believe. You're going to be compromising your identity. You're going to let them inbreed. You're going to be marrying. You're, going to, you're not going to become my people. You're going to become not even identifiable anymore. If you don't clear your land, there was a fight after King Solomon and the 10 tribes in the north decided we don't want to be a part of Judah. So they became Israel in the north and Judah remained in the south. Keep in mind, Judah was the only tribe really that obeyed the Lord. Everyone else didn't clear their land. They thought, tell you what, even better than clearing the land, we'll let them live among us and they can pay us money uh, every year called tribute money. And um, that way we actually get money from them and um, we get to benefit. Well, in 722 BC, the Assyrians came in and overran Israel and took all of those tribes away. Brought in other people to inhabit the area. There were no longer... Ten tribes in the north, there was only remaining Judah. Let's go to the next slide. And you can see that by the time of Jesus, we still had a place called Judea in the south. And in the north of Jerusalem was Samaria. And you had the region of Galilee. But there's no more Israel. In fact, those ten tribes have been lost to history. They're not identifiable as a people anymore. Since 722 B.C., they were gone uh, yet Judah remained. God had this plan. You remember Abraham and Jacob and Judah. There's a line of people that he had chosen through whom he was going to bring a Messiah. This Judea, um, sorry, Judah, his region became known as Judea. And after 722 is the first time people became, uh, became known as Jews. They didn't use the word Jews, but it comes from Judea. Uh, from the tribe of Judah, as when they started to be called Jews for the first time. Before that, they were children of Israel, and Israel was the name of, that the God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Children of Israel, descendant of Israel. Now, by the time of Jesus, they're called Jewish people. So, we have the Judah, <laughs> I'm going to stumble my words a little bit. Judah's tribe became the royal tribe. They became the one through whom the kings were going to settle. So in early times when they became unified into Jerusalem and into the area of the promised land, Judah supplied King David. Judah supplied King Solomon. 
Judah supplied the, the kings that ruled the, the, the unified areas of the 12 tribes until there was division, then all of a sudden there was trouble. You know what? In the, in the north, they never did have a good king. They had kings that worshipped idols and pagans and allowed the other groups that were in the area to infiltrate and to interbreed, and they started worshiping everyone else but God. And that's why God just removed his hand of protection. He said, okay, you don't want to worship me, you're on your own. And they had to face the Assyrians and others, uh, marauding tribes and armies all the time, but he kept his hand of protection on Judah. After the Assyrians had ruled the area, Judah was left intact but weak. And so you remember when Jesus says, you know, you go into all the world, you're going to go to, to Judah, uh, to all throughout Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. He's, he's describing the areas that he wants us to take the gospel. So that's kind of the background of who this Judah is, one of the faithful children of Jacob, one of the 12 tribes that did what God actually asked him to do. And because he was obedient and faithful, God blessed and protected. Not only that, but had a plan to use this tribe to bless the entire world forever. So what's with the lion? Good question. I'm glad you asked that, because in my research, the lion came to symbolize Judah, the, the, the fourth son. It began as Jacob, his dad, was dying. He was about to pass away, and he wanted to bring all of his sons to have a blessing. He was going to predict something about their future and their identity, their character, their nature, uh, and what God was going to do with them. So in Genesis chapter 49, verse 1, the very first book in the Bible, Jacob says, call together all of his sons, and he said, gather around me, and I'm going to tell you what will happen to each of you in the days to come. Come and listen, you sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. He talks about the firstborn Reuben as being unruly and immoral. Uh, talks about this first son as not deserving actually to have the birthright that normally would have been given to him. The next two sons, Simeon and Levi, they're angry, violent, and cruel. Their tribes, it says, are going to be scattered. But when it comes to Judah, everything changes. Judah, he says, your brothers are going to praise you. All of your relatives will bow down before you. Judah, my son, is like a, a young lion that crouches and lies down, like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. The lion of Judah represents the strength, represents the, the victory that God is going to give the faithful ones, the ones that stay the course, that follow after his statutes and his laws. It's really unusual to not give the birthright to the firstborn. He's, the firstborn is the one that's supposed to deserve it, but when he looked at the character, Jacob thought, there's no way. He doesn't deserve He's proven himself unworthy of this kind of a privilege he was unstable and impulsive, if not, not even outright immoral. In fact, Jacob says, you married one of my wives. It's like, what are you doing? How could you think this is okay? But Judah remained faithful. He had outstanding character. His tribe um, would be taking back their land and would be showing others how to do it, trusting in the Lord, fighting for what was right, being obedient, but the other tribes didn't. 
So the Lion of Judah became a symbol not only of Judah, the person and the tribe of Judah, but also down through the, the lineage of David, who was going to be David and Goliath, proved himself worthy as a warrior. He was a, from the tribe of Judah, from the Lion of Judah. So this house of David, the tribe of Judah, the lion became a common Jewish symbol appearing often, even in distru- uh, um, construction decor. So keep in mind that the Jews that we have today in Israel uh, are descendant from Judah. And there they go right back to this line of Judah. So because uh, Judah's territory lasted longer than any other of the 12 tribes and included Jerusalem as their capital, the line of Judah, the sky color, made their way into the emblem of the city of Jerusalem. Let's see if we have the next slide. So today, the city of Jerusalem uses the sky blue color, they have the line as a symbol because Judah, uh, that was the capital of Judea as well. But for Christians, the lion is a symbol of Jesus. Jesus is the victor. Jesus is the one who conquers. Jesus is the one who rules today. Revelation 5.2, the end of the Bible. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Worthy, who is worthy to break the seals of the scroll and open it? And no one in heaven or on earth or under earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping, look. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. So how qualified is Jesus to be this lion of Judah? Well, we know first of all, He has an everlasting kingdom, according to Psalm 145. Your kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. From his genealogy, we see that he came from Jacob. He came from Abraham and Jacob and David. Even his mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, were also part of the tribe of Judah. Jacob's blessing to Judah referred to Judah as a lion's cub or a lioness. And Jesus is the one, when he resurrected from the dead, triumphed over all, triumphed over death, triumphed over hell, everything Satan had to throw at him, he obliterated it and is now waiting to come back as a true victor and warrior. Jesus is the lion who retreats before nothing. Until he comes back, we've only really seen him as a lamb of God, a sacrificial lamb. He came meek and mild and humble, being born in a stable with straw. He's not coming back that way. He's coming back victorious. Although Jesus could be formidable in his knowledge of God and his kingdom, he did not come as that ferocious, dominating lion. He earned that title. He earned the title he was given 1,800 years earlier, that he would become what God had predicted him to be, when I look at this and I wonder, okay, what is this saying to us today? You know, all the names given to Jesus were talking about his destiny, where he was going to be going. We've been given a name, Revelations 2.17, to the one who was victorious to us, to the followers of Christ, is I will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. When we become Christians, when we become born again, God doesn't see us as we were. He sees us as he wants us to be, as he works with his spirit in us. I like this new stone idea, this white stone and a new name. 
because I refer back to this breastplate of the high priest, we get a white stone. It's a symbol of of forgiveness and purity and justice. And we get a new name. You see, because there's a new tribe. There's believers, there's Christians today that are grafted in to the children of God. We've been adopted. We get to wear white robes. We get to wear what our Lord and Savior is going to be dressed at in, in white when he comes again to redeem his people. We don't have to be labeled anymore by our past. We get to be designated as to what God wants us to become. His hand is upon us. We are the faithful ones. We are the faithful people following in his, his will. 